0: That the Marine Corps taught me about life, leadership, and success. Uh, if you're a fan of this show, you've heard me talk about the Marine Corps extensively over the past five years. Um, but I sense it's, a, it's an obligation for me because I've officially been out of the Marine Corps since June of 2001. And I can honestly say that any modicum of success that I've enjoyed in my personal, my professional, my entrepreneurial life can be directly attributed to these 10 years that I spent on active duty from 1991 to 2001. There isn't a day that doesn't go by that I honestly don't reflect on the Marine Corps, some lesson that the Marine Corps taught me, and the common sense leadership principles that they provided me. I owe a great deal to the Marine Corps for making me who I am today. And I want to share that with you because it's not about turning you into a Marine. It is about, however sharing with you some of these common-sense life lessons, these principles that the Marine Corps um, really um, hold near and dear, and these important and practical lessons uh, can be applied in your life as well. And dare I say that there is a huge leadership vacuum out there, tremendous opportunity for all of us, dare I say an obligation for all of us to make this campsite better than we found it, and to do that demands authentic and courageous leadership, and I honestly believe if you take these eight lessons and apply them to your everyday life, you're going to start making a dent in your world, in your organization, and certainly in your personal life. So let's uh, get right down to it and talk about these eight lessons. First and foremost, is this uh, rapid decision making. Huge opportunity for all of us out there. I think it's the biggest bang for the buck. If you if you're new to the leadership game, or if you're senior in it, if you want to make an impact in your organization. In your personal life, get comfortable with making rapid decisions. In the Marine Corps, you're taught to make sound and timely decisions. And there's an extra emphasis, added emphasis, on the word timely. Traditionally, we're taught to methodically analyze decisions. We're taught through school, through business school, that it's all about analytical decision-making, You know, weighing the pros and the cons, minimizing the risks before we make decisions. And that in itself isn't necessarily bad. It's a good exercise, and it makes perfect sense. But, however, the Marine Corps puts a great emphasis on what I call the 75% solution, and that's to help rapidly make decisions. In other words, you do your best to gain as much information as you can until you have approximately 75% of the information. You be the judge of that when you reach 75%. It's kind of an intuitive feel. And then you use your intuition to which we underplay and we undervalue. You use your intuition, your experience, and your expertise to fill in the other 25%. It's always better, always better to make a decision, a decent decision, dare I say even a mediocre decision, and execute aggressively with that partial information than it is to wait around and make a perfect decision too late. I am a huge believer of this. I've seen this work in the corporate arena. It's a great effect. And remember, not making a decision is actually making a decision, right? It's deciding not to act. So get as much information as you can. You can do the analytical exercise of it, but don't do the analysis by paralysis piece. Don't be weighed down and bogged down, fearful that you're going to make a wrong decision. Again, better to make a decent decision, a fair decision there, even a mediocre decision, and execute aggressively against it. See what happens Improvise, adapt and overcome after that decision is made and then act again instead of waiting around for this air quotes perfect decision that'll just never happen. All right. So rapid decision making is the first lesson. The second one is tied with decision making. It's the decentralized decision making process. I think the key to any successful organization or the culture is um, the importance of pushing decision-making down to the absolute lowest levels of authority possible. The closer you are to people on the front line, people with eyes on opportunities and eyes on customers, um, they are allowed to make decisions at the lowest level possible. Well, the more efficient and more effective the organization will be, right? The Marine Corps has to do it this way because it's, They live in the combat environment. And what is combat? It's chaotic. It's asymmetric. It's unforgiving. So pushing decisions up some hierarchical approval tree would actually produce bureaucracy, stagnation, mediocrity, missed opportunities, and ultimately defeat. Creating a culture where your frontline folks are empowered to make decisions— Without asking for permission produces tremendous flexibility, creativity, adaptability, and ultimately success and victory. It is far better to create a culture a culture where one is asking for forgiveness than it is for permission. I'm a huge believer of that. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that phrase, asking for forgiveness instead of permission. But understand, for that to work, to get your people to make decisions at the lowest level the senior leadership has to be maniacal and i don't use that word lightly maniacal about communicating what it is they want to accomplish and why so if the senior leaders if you're you as a leader are defining the sandbox for your team to play in and you're very crystal clear about why they're what they're supposed to do within that sandbox and why they're, they're they even exist you're well on your way to uh, and well-primed to push the decision-making authority down to the lowest levels. That's how you get um, adaptability, speed, and flexibility in a chaotic environment. So decentralized decision-making is key. Right. So that's number two. The third lesson is staying calm. Within a crisis, or even staying composed is a better way to say it, right? Leaders are made and broken during a crisis. That's why we even have leaders. When things get hot and heavy, we have to learn how to compartmentalize our feelings and remain calm and composed at all times. In the Marine Corps, it was a cardinal sin to lose your bearing when the stress level gets high. And it's not that you're never going to be afraid. It's understanding and getting comfortable with the, tr- the truth that that fear that uncertainty is normal. And it's also not about eliminating chaos everywhere you go, right? It's, it's almost impossible. You're always going to have some inevitable, unforeseen event. And the professional understands that. It's not that you go seeking it out, and you certainly hope that they don't happen, but you understand f- fully that they will happen, So it's not about eliminating chaos, but instead it's about exploiting it to your benefit where the obstacle actually becomes the way you have complete control and power, how you choose to deal with obstacles. Never forget that the ultimate power rests with you on how you view the obstacle, the story you tell yourself about the, uh, the obstacle, right? And that helps in staying calm and composed in that crisis. It's about understanding that chaos is the norm, And from a leadership perspective, you're expected, you're obligated to remain calm under fire. Losing your bearing is the kiss of death for a leader. You have to figure out how to stay calm within a crisis. All right, so that's number three. Number four, it's never about you. This is the one I took for granted. When I got into the corporate arena, I found that so many people misunderstand this basic concept about leadership. It is never, ever, ever about you. We think as leaders that we need to be the ones with all the answers. We need to be the ones um, that, that are flawless, that we have to, to uphold the highest standards. And that's true, but at the same time, we're human beings. And as an officer in the Marine Corps, you were always reminded that it's never about the senior leadership. Everything the senior leaders do, their primary mission was to take care and support that 18-year-old trigger puller on the front line. Everything revolved around that. As officers were taught to always eat last, right? If one of your marines forgets to eat a, a critical piece of gear when we were out in the field, then I was the one that went without, or the senior leader goes without. In the corporate world, there seems to be this heavy emphasis on the larger-than-life individuals. There's heavy emphasis on an importance on these senior leadership positions. Yeah, they're important, but we put the wrong emphasis on that senior leadership. And the marines, we were taught it was never about the officer. Officers exist to provide cover, to remove the big obstacles and create an environment so that the real, the engine of the Marine Corps can be successful. As the senior leaders, we were taught to be accountable for these folks so that they can be successful. Flip it on its head. It's never about you. It's sacrificial. It's about you taking the accountability for the wins and losses of this team, particularly the losses. But you're obligated to set up the environment so that they can succeed. And you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room, smartest guy or gal in the room to be that way. Right. So it's never about you. Number four, number five, about improv, improvising, adapting and overcoming. Right. The Marine Corps always seemed to get the short in the stick when it came to budget and procurement. And traditionally, there has been a systematic lack of resources for the Corps, primarily because it is the smallest branch and uh, we have to compete, or the Marine Corps had to compete for funding for the Department of the Navy. However, the Spartan reality allowed me to see some rather unique and ingenious ways on getting what we needed. Whether it was office supplies, aircraft parts, or food or water, there was a never-ending display of initiative and entrepreneurial spirit that I rarely saw in the other four branches. I am being a little biased because I've worked in Uh, Two, I've been in the Air Force and the Air Guard and and in the Marine Corps. And this Marine Corps, I guess, is because of necessity, because these lack of resources. You saw this tremendous amount of initiative and entrepreneurial spirit. So being exposed to a culture that continually entrusted everyone to try new things. And ask for forgiveness instead of permission. Challenge the status quo. That has served me extremely well in the corporate and the entrepreneurial journey. So I would ask you to do the same. Find ways to improvise, adapt, overcome. And again, couple that with a little bit of courage, initiative, and entrepreneurial with vigor. Um, and you're well on your way to setting your mark and, and, and busting uh, the, the the channels of mediocrity that are so prevalent in uh, today's society, right? So that's number five, improvise, adapt, and overcome. The sixth lesson I learned was endurance and tenacity. And this show, uh, it's a big lesson I've learned from doing this show for five years. It's rarely about the talent. It's always about the endurance and the willingness to not give up. It doesn't take long to find numerous examples of Marines enduring monumental and seemingly impossible circumstances. I mean, you look at the battles of Bella Wood, Iwo Jima, Fallujah, you got individuals and kind of mythological Marine Corps heroes like John Bassalone, Chesty Puller, or Smedley Butler. And there's never a shortage of amazing acts of heroism and tenacity. I've studied and revered these historical accounts, not only for their tactical significance, but more importantly, for their examples of mental and physical endurance. It's amazing. And by emphasizing that past and studying that past, the Marine Corps, you know, uh, You come to measure any current perspective in any situation against that backdrop, and when you look at it against that backdrop, it gives one tremendous motivation to press on and persevere because any challenge that you're faced with right now, any seemingly insurmountable obstacle, someone's seen this before. Not only that, someone's been in a lot worse situation than you were in. So many times when I felt like I'm quitting some task or, or feeling down on myself and woe was me, feeling it's not fair, or I look at a project that seems impossible to o- overcome, I reflect back on those that have sacrificed a hundred, a thousand fold what I've been faced with. And that humble reality check has allowed me to keep driving forward. So always remember, it's always about the tenacity. It's always about the never quitting. The endurance and the tenacity piece is far more important. And usually is a differentiator between success and failure, never giving up, right? The seventh one is fear and uncertainty is the norm. I've kind of touched on this when we were talking about remaining composed and calm under pressure. But it's so true. The fear and uncertainty never goes away. We spend a tremendous amount of time, energy, and resources hoping that things will go as smooth as possible. And it's not that I'm looking for the fear or I'm looking for uncertain situations. I just understand that this is the way it is. The Marine Corps' current warfighting methodology is called, quote-unquote, maneuver warfare. It's based on shock, it's based on speed, disruption, and organized chaos. In the Marine Corps, you understand that you can never completely eliminate this fear and uncertainty in any situation. In fact, fear and uncertainty in a maneuver warfare concept is actually a blessing, because most people and most organizations spend an inordinate amount of time, energy, and resource trying to make things safe and predictable. The Marines, we understood that this is a myth. In other words, that fear and uncertainty are constant forces that must be dealt with. And so let's spend our limited time, energy, and resources on being the the composed, confident, consistent force within that chaos. If you can operate comfortably within that environment, if you can be that calm force within the chaos, you will always, always have a competitive advantage Fear and uncertainty is what gives leaders job security. So get used to being comfortable being uncomfortable. That is the key. It's a tremendous lesson if you can learn that, right? And the last one, the most important lesson of all, I learned about love. I talk about this a lot exclusively in my leadership training, and it always leads to some interesting conversations. I had a a group of fairly senior engineers in a leadership training class and they fought against me or fought against this concept tremendously. They didn't think love had any place in the professional business setting or in leadership. And I say you are flat wrong. You cannot be any more wrong. If you can, I can, I will say this with, with the most certainty, you cannot be a leader if you don't understand the concept of love. And if you're uncomfortable with it, you will never be a leader. You will always be, at best, a decent manager. And look, leadership and love, leadership is an affair of the heart, and it's all about love. And the problem I think people have with it is that they quote love with the feelings of love. And when I'm talking about love, I'm not talking about the feeling of love, the feeling you have for your spouse, your kids, your, your puppy dog. No, I'm talking about the agape style love, right? The action of love. The sacrificial side of love. And think back to all of your significant life events, all the significant people in your life. Work, personal and professional. At the core, at the foundation of all those people that you respected, those experiences that were you just cannot forget was love. Without love, you can have no integrity, no honor, no commitment, no conviction, no hope, no faith, no trust, no support, no persistence, no courage, no risk-taking. And again, I'm not talking about the feelings of love. I'm talking about the act of love, the sacrificial agape-sized style of love. Nothing important or significant gets done in life without your heart. And you have to be in love with the act of leading. Not the idea of leading. You have to be in love with the act of leading others. And this, my friends, will always, always, always cost you something. It will cost you your time. It will cost you your freedom. It will cost you your rights. It will cost you your pride. Your time. All of that. It is is literally and figuratively sacrificing your life so that others may prosper. That's the type of love I'm talking about. Sacrificing so others may prosper. And if that isn't the definition of love, I don't know what is. But the beautiful thing is, is that those that understand that, those that apply that, well, they're the only ones that get to truly experience the resurrection power that comes with it. The resurrection of a significant life, a meaningful life of making the campsite better than you found it. I had an old Marine Corps vet, old Marine friend, Iwo Jima Marine, and I asked him, he saw so many trials and tribulations, death and destruction, the worst of humanity. And he talked about the Marine Corps. He's a World War II vet. He passed away a few years ago. And I remember asking him one time in the hospital. I said, "What? All those experiences, all those great stories you told me. What was the biggest lesson, the biggest takeaway from your time in the Marine Corps?" And he didn't. He didn't even hesitate. He said, "I learned how to love another human being." And and that was so meaningful to me. And, it, and it's and it gets to the heart of what we're talking about here and why leadership is so so personal and so powerful for each and every one of us. So never forget that. Love is at the heart of all significant leadership. I can't say enough on how much the Marine Corps has helped me get to where I am today. The Marine Corps is a premier organization when it comes to leadership and getting things done, when it is firing in all cylinders, when it works well. And I'm honored and humbled to know that I'm standing on those immense broad shoulders of so many great individuals and leaders who sacrificed far more than I've seen or or can even imagine. And I hope that you can take these eight lessons and apply them to your life and to your leadership journey and you can become the leader that you were called to be. So let me know what you think about this episode. Reach out to me at Richard at DoseOfLeadership.com. Go to com, Fill out the contact form if you don't want to email me and reach out to me. I answer every email I eventually get to. it. It may take me a while, but I will get back to you, I promise. And if you want to... Use me as a speaker, as a coach, as a presenter. You can learn more about my consulting and speaking services at doseofleadership.com and also an introductory course, my Legacy Leader Blueprint course, which is perfect for organizations to introduce these concepts, these ideas into your leadership culture to help your team become the leaders that they were called to be, to instill these values, these concepts of leadership in your organization. Legacy Leader Blueprint, $349 per seat. 20 videos, six hours of personal facilitation and coaching sessions with me. You can learn more by going to my website and clicking on the Legacy Leader Blueprint link. (laughs) Legacy Leader Blueprint link. That's hard to say. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode. Thanks for being a fan of the show, and I will see you on the next episode.